Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. With constant appearances in news and pop culture, the Paul Ryan endorsement and headlines like, would Trump have shot the gorilla? It seems that Donald Trump has become a mainstream media fixture. In today's episode, we discuss the normalization of Donald Trump and what effects this cycle could have for a generation. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. is a special week for us. Instead of the briefcase on Friday, we are going to be doing a webinar with Predict It, and we will be putting a link in the show notes and on our social media pages for you guys to check that out on Friday at 1.30 Eastern. Can you tell them what Predict It is, Beth? If you um, heard our episode on Tuesday, Predicted is the company that we talked with that allows people to make investments in political events. And we found what they're doing really interesting. It's kind of a place where if you are really into politics, you can go sort of test your theories about what's going to happen next against where other people are. So this event is going to be done via Facebook Live, so it should be pretty easy to join. You can RSVP using the link that we have, um, and hopefully you'll be able to join us there. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And also, before we get started, we want to send out a thanks to Shelby for her donation to Pantsuit Politics. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, you can go to PantsuitPoliticsShow.com and make a one-time donation or become a subscriber, um, and that sends us a little support every month and helps us keep up with the cost of the show. Also, again, the t-shirts. We're down to two gray t-shirts, one regular Pantsuit Politics and one Crazy Moderate, and I think just like one small left in the whole batch, so... If you want your t-shirts, get them, get them now. Well, in the Pearls today, we are going to sadly start by talking about another shooting death. Mm. It was pretty well publicized this week, but I think the facts have been a little sketchy, so I thought we would run through what happened at UCLA. A 38-year-old man who was a Minnesota resident but had done doctoral work at UCLA went back to UCLA hunted down um, a professor. It looked like he was actually planning to kill two professors, but he only found one. The other was off campus and Uh, is safe. When I read that, can you even think about how that person feels? Can you? Because, oh my God. Well, I'm happy to see that it looks like police have done a pretty good job concealing his identity, although I imagine... I imagine that won't last forever, but I I hope it lasts as long as it can, because what a trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So he killed one professor, William Klug, who was only 39, and then he killed himself. Um, This seems to be connected to some kind of intellectual property dispute, although with all things like this, you know, you can't completely blame it on the facts. Facts don't lead someone to shoot someone else. But the gunman, I'm sorry about my voice continuing to be a disaster, was a software (laughs) programmer. And the professor he killed was very instrumental in his dissertation. He accused this professor of stealing code that the gunman had written and Mm -hmm. sharing it with others. He left a note at the site of the event asking people to check on his cat back in Minnesota and leaving an address. And so police found um, a, a document titled Kill List in his home and on it were the two professors' names and the name of a woman who it became known later was his estranged wife. It's unclear to me from what I've read whether they were actually divorced or just separated, but um, her identity, Ashley Hasty, was later confirmed, and her sister in a Facebook post has stated that she is the woman found in Minnesota believed to be have been killed by this same guy. So um, two people dead, another one who had been targeted, who narrowly escaped, and the gunman shot himself as well. It's just unbelievably sad situation, a really complex set of facts um, because of the sort of multi-state aspect. And I, I feel like it's just our um, kind of commitment to talk about these things when they happen here, even though there's not, there's not a lot to say about it other than I wish this hadn't happened. Well, and I was reading on, Jezebel did this really great thing called, uh, or post said that it was, this was a bad, gruesome, and utterly typical week for men killing their partners, because I think sometimes when these shootings happen and there's a domestic um, partnership wrapped up in it, we get, we kind of lose the fact that this happens all the time. Over a thousand women regularly die at the hands of their partners. And um, in this case, with the woman that he killed, um... I've lost it. I just had it. Oh, Ashley. They'd been broken up for about a year. And it's believed that she's he is believed to have shot and killed her, then traveled thousands of miles to murder the professor and had a kill list and all this stuff. And, you know, they list out every woman that was murdered by her partner this week. And it's just so disturbing. But in a way, it's, like, disturbing because we need to remember this. Like, this is what happens. Women are killed by their partners too often. And it's a tragedy that sort of the media doesn't like to pay attention to unless it's an exciting narrative, unfortunately. Another thing that I think it pulls out, and I'm not prepared to talk about this at too much length because I think it requires some more research, but I've been having this discussion via email with our listener, Andrew, about gun violence and gun regulation and the Second Amendment. And one of the things that we've kind of come to agreement on through that discussion, I think, is that mental health issues, while important, are a little bit of a red herring when you talk about gun regulation. Mm -hmm. And I think in a situation like this, of course, there's a mental health component to the decision to kill other people. But this isn't someone who in a moment became unhinged, right? Right. I mean, this was a planned, um, a planned act that spanned days. And he, he made a list, right? And he drove thousands of miles. And so I think that when we start talking about gun regulation and hear that, well, everyone agrees that we need to deal with mental health issues. Well, one, like, Join the club. We all have mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So there's a very real risk of being vastly over-inclusive and oppressive to a group of people who don't need more oppression. Well, and that's the thing. There was a really great post, remember, around, I don't remember when it came out, and I'll try to find it, about mental health. People that suffer from mental health issues are more likely to be the victims of gun violence than the perpetrators. So I think it's maybe a poignant and tragic reminder that even when you can say, yeah, clearly something went wrong for this person, um, that that doesn't, we all have things that go wrong for us. That doesn't lead you to, to pick up a weapon and shoot people. And, and so for what that's worth, I think it's part of the discussion. So speaking of issues that do, that need a lot of research, you found, you fell down a Trump university hole, I hear. 
Oh my gosh, Sarah. I could, if I had the life that would allow me to do this, I would spend like the next month doing nothing but Trump University research. And it's funny that I feel that way. I'm really surprised because as this um, narrative in the media has started to become unearthed, I've been very dismissive of it. Like everyone thinks this is going to be such a great attack on Donald Trump. It's really hard for me to believe that that will be effective. But I wanted to learn more about it. And then as I've learned more about it, I've gotten really hooked almost to the point where I'm like, would anybody but me care about a pantsuit primer on Trump University? Because <laughs> I just really want to go through the whole thing. Probably not. Sure. <laughs> well, let me tell you what I've learned so far in a very high level of detail. Um, Trump University has been in litigation for about five years now. It claimed to be, quote, the next best thing to being one of Donald Trump's apprentices. And targeted elderly people basically mm. saying this is your ticket to not spend your final years as the Walmart greeter. So that's classy. Um, it promised to help people find get-rich-quick real estate deals and financing for those deals because, you know, you should get rich on other people's money, not your own. What I think is a compelling fact that I haven't, you know, I've heard a lot in the news about how Donald Trump didn't really have anything to do with this. Here's how much he didn't have anything to do with it. An adult education firm actually wrote the curriculum. So it isn't just that Trump didn't actually handpick the mentors, as the advertising suggests. He, like, didn't have anything to do with what was actually being taught. And evidence in the lawsuit has come forward suggesting that the materials referred to sort of Trump's foreclosure strategy as though it's sort of content that he's created and is selling. And he didn't know what that referred to. So he was really distant from this. Um, the curriculum was basically a sales funnel. So they kind of brought people in. And this isn't unlike lots of real estate classes going on out there in the world. Not to excuse it, but, you know, be aware. They kind of lure people in with a free 90-minute workshop. And then that workshop kind of gets you into a you know, somewhat pricier three-day event, and then the three-day event gets you into a vastly more expensive mentoring program. So that's how they got people in, um, progressively spending more and more money with them. And the most interesting thing about this to me is, like, some of the testimony from people who were actually instructors at Trump University people who were students at Trump University. I'm just sort of fascinated by this whole world because I see ads for these real estate things all the time. And I always look at them and think, who would go to this? You know, <laughs> and I think part of my fascination is that people do go and people are sold. And I can understand how once you're in the room, you're really at risk. Yeah. I didn't know it was a sales funnel. I thought it was, I guess I thought it was different. That makes it even worse to me. But I think it'll be such a hard... He's going to be, uh, well, I guess if he hasn't used it so far, I don't know. The whole he didn't have anything to do with it could go either way for him. I can see people saying, like you talked about confirmation bias, like, well, he didn't have, he wasn't him. But he put his name on it. So doesn't that mean anything about his judgment or about his character? What I think he's doing is making this situation a whole lot worse than it has to be for him. I think that with the people who like him, and I, I kind of went on a little Twitter rant about this. I think he, he's not Teflon. It's that people like him. Like the people who support him genuinely like him. And I think that when you like somebody and you feel dismissed by the Republican Party, by the mainstream media, whatever, by the politically correct culture that we live in that you think is ruining the country, you know, all that sort of I'm the victim here thing, plus really liking someone, I think you give them a pass on a lot of things. Yeah. But I think he's making this so much worse by constantly talking about the judge in the lawsuit. Well, I mean, if we're ever going to say this situation would be, you know, if the strategy to ever make a situation better for himself is to sort of mea culpa and then not talk about it anymore, he is not capable of that. So I agree. Not capable. But I don't understand directing his ire at the judge versus the plaintiffs. I don't understand why you are applying logic to Donald Trump. Well, there you go. So I think we'll talk more about this because I 
just have to go learn more about it. I'm fascinated. And if you don't want to hear that, you can just tweet us and tell us. That's fine. <laughs> but I, I really think this is an interesting story, not just as it relates to Donald Trump, but sort of about these types of sales mechanisms and the mm-hmm. way that they target uh, historically disadvantaged people generally. Well, before we move on to compliment the other side, we wanted to mention, obviously, that the nation had a great loss. Muhammad Ali has passed away. He was a Kentucky native and you know one of the most dynamic sports figures mm, ever. I'm going to go with yeah. ever. I'll I think that's fair. Yeah. So our thoughts are with his family and, you know, spend a lot of time talking about his legacy, which is time well spent, I would say. There is a wonderful center in Louisville dedicated to Muhammad Ali. My cousin got married there and it was such a cool place to have a wedding and we got to kind of go through the museum while we were there. It's definitely worth your while if you're ever in that part of the country. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Well, we always take a second to compliment the other side, and I wanted to say kudos to Democratic lawmakers in the state of Mississippi, which I think is a pretty unlikely statement. Mm -hmm. Um, They have on Friday sent a letter to the governor asking for a special legislative session because Mississippi's funding for 
mental health treatment is critically low. And it's putting the state at risk of losing federal funding. It's putting the state at risk of having to close facilities. And and generally, I think the press in Mississippi is is realizing that and they're they're communicating this really beautifully. I'll link up some of the articles that when mental health facilities close, it puts the police in the position of being first responders on mental health issues. And it leads to jailing people who mm. don't need to be in jail. They need treatment. And Mississippi just does not want to take that giant step backwards. And the letter that the Democratic lawmaker sent to the governor is succinct. It's well written. It's compassionate. Um, it's I think, sound from a policy perspective. So we'll link that up. But I was very encouraged to see this kind of compassion and concern and highlighting of an important issue. So I was going to compliment Charlie Baker. There was a big news about the approval ratings of governors. And I think he had the highest. He's a Republican governor of Massachusetts, which that's an interesting place to be. Sure first thing. Of all, just first of all. And he has a 74% approval rating. So I don't know what you're doing, Charlie Baker, but keep it up. Keep it up. I like, I like it when a member of the other side is governing the state, um, a state from, from the other end of the spectrum. I always think that's sort of a good scenario. And it's clearly working wonders in Massachusetts. And just because, so I'm um, open and transparent about while I was looking at this, our governor has like one of the lowest gov- approval ratings in the nation. Just putting that out there, Matt Bevin. It's not surprising nope. and pretty unfortunate. And we have to figure out how to turn this situation around because four years is a long time. It's so long. It's so it's so long. It seemed like not long, but it's so long. Five thirty eight did did a uh, piece called "GOP Voters Are Rallying Behind Trump as If He Were Any Other Candidate," and the polling they discussed was. Trump averages 85% support, 85% support against Hillary Clinton among respondents who identified as Republicans. 85%. What? What is happening? That blew my mind, first of all. And I've noticed it in conversations I'm having with people that there isn't, you know, it's just all of a sudden we're having this conversation about sort of Democrats versus Republicans when First of all, Donald Trump is not a Republican. And second of all, that's not what this is about, everybody. And then sort of cementing my frustration, there was a really, really great piece that we'll link to in The New Yorker by Adam Gopnik called The Dangerous Acceptance of Donald Trump. And the whole entire piece is so brilliant. But I just wanted to read um, one piece in particular. And he talks about... There is a difference between major and minor issues, between primary and secondary values. Many of us think that it would be terrible if the radical revisionist reading of the Second Amendment created by the Heller decision eight years ago was kept in place in a constitutional court. Many on the other side think it would be terrible if that other radical decision, Roe v. Wade, continued to be found to be compatible with the constitutional order. What we should all agree on is that the one thing worse would be to have no constitutional order left to argue about. If Trump came to power, there is a decent chance that the American experiment would be over. This is not hyperbolic prediction. It is not a hysterical prediction. It is simply a candid reading of what history tells us happens in countries with leaders like Trump. Countries don't really recover from being taken over by an unstable authoritarian nationalist of any political bent left or right, not by Perones or Castros or Putins or Francos or Lenins or fill in the blanks. And, you know, between that and Hillary Clinton doing a fantastic job in her speech a few days ago about sort of drawing out the differences between him. I just, we've lost sight that this man is unstable. He makes fun of disabled people. He calls women pigs. He advocates the murder of children of terrorists. That's a war crime. Like I don't, and I don't know if everybody's just decided that he just bloviates and he doesn't mean it all. That's sort of what my husband's response is. Like he doesn't mean it all. But then what does he mean? What's worse that he means it or that this is a big sort of, you know, front. I don't know which is scarier to me. They are both scary. The fact that now Paul Ryan is what met with him. So I'm like, what's happening in these meetings? Has Paul Ryan decided that it's all, like I said, it's all a front and underneath is this very serious man who understands the complexities and importance of being president of the United States? I don't believe that's what Paul Ryan has concluded, no. Okay, so then what's the alternative that he's just decided what? He can, like, control the damage? I don't... 
what's happening? I'm, I'm a little panicky. I'm very distraught over the Paul Ryan situation. I think, so all of the commentary that I've seen about this suggests that the existence of a vacancy on the Supreme Court is fueling the Republican capitulation to Trump. I fear that might be too generous to Republican leaders Mm. because I I think that might be a way to talk about this that is less awful than saying, look, where do we go without our base and our base wants Donald Trump. And, And I really that's what I believe is going on here, that the Republican Speaker of the House says to himself and hears from his colleagues constantly, I can't even imagine the pressure on him about this. Look, the House of Representatives exists as a Republican-controlled body because we have so gerrymandered our districts Mm -hmm. that we've backed ourselves into a corner and essentially allowed a certain base of support to control the party. And we did this. I mean, this is a classic case to me of you made your bed as it relates to the gerrymandering. Because that I think that's what this is about. The fact that Republicans in the House know they are there because of the people who elected Donald Trump and know that they will suffer the wrath of those people if they don't respect those votes. Now, I don't think that's an excuse. I desperately wanted Paul Ryan to conclude that he could not support Donald Trump. Yeah. And I don't feel better hearing people talk about how Congressman Ryan probably wouldn't have done this, but Speaker Ryan has to make a different analysis. I understand that, but it doesn't help me. I've watched so much coverage of this, and I I told Chad, I keep watching, like, Chuck Todd, who's my favorite, talk about Paul Ryan, who's one of my favorites, (laughs) and it's all breaking my heart. (laughs) I don't want this. Um, I, I just, I think the Supreme Court is an important issue. I completely understand that the Supreme Court is one of those issues that last beyond four years. You know, you you do change a generation with the composition of the Supreme Court and the idea of appointments to the Supreme Court that are very, very um, different from the conservative view of the world is a concerning one. But I don't understand that either because it's sort of like he said, like, the Supreme Court can't... I mean, what if the damage that his presidency does is so far-reaching? We don't even need the Supreme Court because we really don't have much left of this political system to begin with. Like, people could, I mean, I don't, mm, people could die. Like, I just don't understand that. He is advocating war crimes, and you're more concerned. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling, like I said, I'm not super nuanced about this right now because it's just because so in here let me tell you how unnuanced I am about Donald Trump just to put this in fully in perspective I was thinking last night about like okay uh, the situation is reversed because really what you're saying this is what bothers me when you say because I think there's leadership which is this whole thing and is really undoing the benefit of the doubt I try to give elected leaders who for the most part I believe are there for the right reasons they're really hurting my my argument for that, first of all. And then you're talking about voters. And we've become so polarized that someone as dangerous as Donald Trump is more, like, I mean, when 85% of the people say they'd rather have Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton, you're saying an authoritarian person who wants to exclude entire races, build a wall, advocates war crimes, is better than a Democrat. What? And so I thought, okay. If the roles were reversed, how far would I go to stop Donald Trump? Like, I have to, I can't be a hypocrite. I can't advocate people to vote for Hillary Clinton. Like, who's my, I know how people feel about Hillary Clinton. Who's my Hillary Clinton? And I thought, and I thought, and so let me say this, recording on the record, I would vote for Mitch McConnell before I voted for Donald Trump. I would vote for somebody who does not represent my values, who would actively work against issues I care deeply about, who, I mean, there's nothing, there's really very little I like about Mitch McConnell. Close to zero. But I would vote for him if that was my only other choice because I think Donald Trump, Donald Trump doesn't not represent my values. Donald Trump is dangerous. And I don't, I don't understand. I mean, how, how I don't know. I don't, it's just, it's a, I'm so upset about it. Well, let me say this. I think that the... 
the piece that you're citing is a less effective way to persuade people than what Hillary Clinton did this week. Mm. I thought Hillary Clinton was at her absolute best in that speech. Now, I thought it was politically genius in terms of the Democratic primary, but putting that off to the side, I thought that she was measured and appropriate Mm -hmm. and spoke in a way that could give people pause. Yeah. I know that it's hard to hear from her if you're a Donald Trump supporter because there is such um, polarization about her. But I, one thing that I thought I I hope that she can continue to find this, I believed every word she said. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a speech that she could have written herself that did not feel as much advance work as I know went into it. It still felt authentic to me. It was the first time that I thought I a hundred percent believe that every cell of Hillary Clinton means what she's saying here. Yeah. I like the and dangerously incoherent part. That was my favorite line. It, that page. felt like her. I mean, mm-hmm. I believe that she believes that. So I thought it was really effective. I think that talking about the country collapsing is fuel to the fire of people who think they have been disrespected anyway. And this, you know, this highlights, I think, Sarah, something that you and I discuss offline all the time, because we're in conflicting positions about things like paid family leave and sort of the way that you deal with issues in the workplace surrounding women, not because we disagree about what the ideal looks like, but because you're sort of like, no, we're just going to tell people what's right and, and say, I don't care that you can't get here. And I feel more like I wish we could do that, but I'm afraid that that results in a backlash. Right. And I think that's where we are on Donald Trump. Like you're willing to say he's dangerous. He could he could become dictatorial and all kinds of things that really actually threaten our whole system of government, not just lead to a miserable four years. I worry that saying those things in such dramatic terms and in terms that could be viewed as highly condescending to his supporters backfires. And that's part of why, as sick as I am about the fact that he has the Republican nomination, there is a piece of me, a small one, that's somewhat relieved that we aren't going to see a new extreme brought on by the fact that people felt he was unjustly denied that nomination. Mm. You know what I mean? Because there is such a, a just the fact. So I've seen I've read a lot of articles this week about the reaction to what happened in California, where anti-Trump protesters became violent. Mm hmm. And even conservatives who have been never Trump conservatives are saying, well, look at the mainstream media just referring to this as a protest instead of a riot. You know, if the script was flipped here and it were the Donald Trump people, this would be talked about in such harsh terms. But because the media is sympathetic to this position, they're not talking about how violent these people actually were. And that sort of chip on your shoulder propensity to the war on Christmas kind of thinking gets so riled up hearing the kind of conversation that we're having right now. And I don't know what to do about that. So on the one hand, I'm with you. I hate this idea that we're just treating him like a normal nominee because I I do think he's not. But on the other hand, I don't know who makes that decision in a democracy, first of all. And second of all, I worry that it will have exactly the opposite effect of what we intend. Well, I thought a lot about this after our uh, conversation about paid family leave. And so I thought about it with regards to health care reform. And so it's not that I think every time we just, you know, sort of tell people shut up and fall in line. This is definitely not what I'm advocating. And I also think there's a real way and sort of this is I talk a lot about this in my own campaign. There's a real way to do it to sell government and to sort of say, like, this is why we're doing this, this is the situation, like, I think there's a better way to do that. It's tough in our polarized environment, but I think it's a way, there's a way to do it. But I believe that it's a cost-benefit analysis. And, for example, with healthcare reform, for the, you know, for the, the, the thousands, millions, I don't know how many people who, particularly even with regards to pre-existing conditions. So many people have been helped by that. And I think you just have to get to a point where you say people's livelihoods or people's lives 
or, you know, the, the, the cost of trying to do this piece by piece is too, is too large. It's too big of a cost. And so we're going to have to make people uncomfortable to get to the right place. And I don't have any problem doing that. And I think you see with healthcare reform, like people are still, I'm not saying everybody's like, yay, Obamacare, but it was really bad when we were passing it. And the more it takes effect and the more I think people see the effects in their own lives, I don't hear people railing against Obamacare like I used to. I just don't. And I think that, um, I'm not saying it's this huge success, but I'm just saying there was this initial fervor and then people, when it had a chance to be sort of instituted and take effect and people saw what happened, I think that's, it's a, there's a different situation. And so, you know, I think there's a part of me that, you know, I channel my in, my inner suffragette deep down and I'm like, Alice Paul, and they're telling me, no, we have to go state by state, Alice. We can't rile everybody up and cause a backlash by having a, you can't, you know, you can't protest the president. It's just going to piss people off. And I'm just like, there's a part of me that it's my, it's my Enneagram I, just PS, anybody that knows about Enneagram, that's like, I get this righteous, no, if it's right, it's right. It needs to happen. And I'm sorry if some people are made uncomfortable and I'm sorry if this leads to, frustration and backlash, but I'm not going to tiptoe around what I feel is right and what helps people and, or what's dangerous like Donald Trump, because I could hurt your feelings. Like, I'm just not going to do that. Well, I think that illustrates why both perspectives are important because Mm -hmm. there's nothing invalid about what you just said. On the other hand, so The Obamacare example is an interesting one when you think about Donald Trump. So the conservative reaction to Obamacare was, this is going to be the end of our country because it so expands the role of government into our personal lives and and it's the apocalypse, right? That was the reaction to Obamacare. And that has tempered because as much as many of us still take issue with the Affordable Care Act, it has not collapsed the very fabric of our country, Surprise! So (laughs) I think that people would be tempted to turn that argument around and say, there's this fever about Donald Trump. He's going to end our nation and probably it won't be so bad. And I honestly think that that's the struggle in a democracy because who decides these things? And and so in a way, isn't the best thing that can happen to treat Donald Trump as a normal candidate and vet him as a normal candidate and let these things expose themselves. Now, I think the media should be very tough on him. I loved seeing this week where CNN um, did in one of the crawls, like Donald Trump says he never said he wanted Japan to have nukes. And then they put in parentheses, he did. That is what, <laughs> that's what should be happening in journalism. They should not give him a pass anywhere. They should stop treating him like a cash cow and just, you know, having him on for for the sake of having him on, the gorilla thing really raked me, you know, because I thought that is just clickbait and it drives me crazy. That's not journalism. So there's there's kind of a tension for what I feel about how the media treats him. But I do think in a way, part of what we have to do is let this process play out, because if we don't, then what happens the next time we're on the other side of this very vigorous disagreement? I mean, that's what democracy is about, right? Well, and I think, you know, oh, and P.S. on the cable news front. Amos wanted to go to McDonald's for his uh, lunch on his birthday, and they had CNN on. And just the 20 minutes sitting in front of CNN put me in a bad mood the rest of the day. When I say I don't watch cable news, I really don't. I just, I it riles me. It gets right deep into my soul and makes me so cranky. But, um, so I totally agree on that point. I guess what I was going to say about sort of the Donald Trump thing, and this is, you know, first of all, what you said and what I said can both be true. You know, we always right. get in this. We always get in this. And I always have to be like, paradox, paradox. They can both be true. Where am I getting riled up when maybe both things are true? But I guess the normalization of him as a candidate isn't just for me about, oh, my God, what if he ha- what if he becomes president? But then it becomes no one – when we normalize somebody in the war crime thing really, really bothers me. This man advocated killing the women – the wives and children of terrorists. I know it's like I want to tattoo that across my forehead, and maybe that's just what I'm going to start saying to people who say maybe he's not that bad. Because there, but what, there are people, Sarah, who don't care about that. I'm sorry how, to how say that. How could you not care about true. that? How could you not care about the slaughter of innocent children? Oh my God! Because those um, are because those are people who who say we shouldn't let refugees in the country. Oh. We should build a wall and keep people out of Mexico. I mean, there there is an ugly. 
Refugees, segment. I'll even give you, though. But I think that's different. I will give you a protectionist, um, keep them out. Because you're not killing them. You're not advocating the murder of children. I, I don't, that to me, there is a, there, there has to be a bright line. And that's what the normalization of his candidacy bugs me. Is but what you would hear, sudden, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what no, you go would ahead. hear, I think, in response to that is, President Obama has used drones more than any other president in our history. You think women and children haven't been killed by those drones. I'm not saying I agree with any of this. I don't agree with that. Okay. I think the war crime aspect is huge and significant, and I agree with everything you're saying about it. I'm just trying to make the case that in some ways that's not compelling to his base of support. We have to find a way to deal with his base of support that actually moves them instead of just yelling at them about things that don't move them. And that's where that's where I'm really struggling because I feel like it, when you say we have to vet him, well, how can you vet somebody if they're not held responsible for being racist, sexist, and advocating war crimes? I think I think part of what's happening now, and I think it's so interesting that the federal judge is kind of a catalyst for this. But I think we are getting to a place now where it's really difficult to argue that this isn't about race with him. The mm. fact that the judge hearing the Trump University case, not to come back around to this thing that I appear to be obsessed with, but the judge hearing this case being Hispanic has become a talking point for him. I don't know how you push back about against that. So this feels a little bit to me like you give Donald Trump enough space, it's going to be difficult to argue with these facts anymore. Illegal immigration, okay, I, I think what he has said is racist, but I get how some people don't. Kind of. I can try to get myself there. But this, with the judge, the fact that he's bringing up race in connection with discovery disputes, I don't know how you argue with that. And so I, I kind of feel like if we give it enough time, it it will become even more and more obvious. He almost seems bent on making it so. He told everybody in the primaries, you know, we come to the general, I'm going to be so presidential, you won't know what to do. He's not. He's still running around the country looking like a deranged person with a hat. I don't have any nuance about his hat. That's what leads me to the deranged comment, which is also not nuance, and I apologize. But he, I mean, he really does not seem presidential at all and doesn't seem to be making any effort to go that direction. Well, and again, this is, in some ways, I think it is very important, and both sides have to do this, to acknowledge that, you know, this is what bugs me about Matt Bevan, that when you're elected, you lead everybody, not just the people that agree with you. And so why I don't want to just say, well, forget y'all, who cares, you're being crazy. I don't think that, and I don't believe that. But... At the same time, like, I don't know, I, I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't know where the line is where I say, I cannot engage with you um, in a way to sort of listen to your concerns and hear you out when you clearly are advocating for racism and nationalism and exclusion. Like, I don't know, except to acknowledge your fear and say, I understand that you're afraid of these things, but... We cannot advocate racism and exclusion as a cure for our fear about the future of our country. Like, I, I mean, mm, I don't know. Well, maybe maybe the thing to do then, because we've talked about we believe in having these conversations. Maybe the thing to do is to start there. Look, I want to have this discussion with you. I really want to understand where you're coming from. Let's agree at the beginning that at the end of this, I'm not going to be persuaded that Donald Trump is an appropriate presidential choice, just as I understand that you're not going to be persuaded to vote for Hillary Clinton. And and then maybe see where it goes. But I want to understand what you find compelling about him. I want to understand what leads you to this conclusion. Because I think that that's valuable, and and I want well, you to hear I, my perspective too. That's my problem, though. I think that's my issue with the normalization of him. That's it's so. This is this is the irony of our existence, and I've said this before. I truly believe that. And if this was Mitch McConnell, or if this was George W. Bush, people who I do not feel like represent my values, but I also don't feel are you know d- dangerous in a open way to the American process. Like, I can keep my nuance and I can do that with you. But I guess my issue with the normalization of Trump is he is not Mitch McConnell. He is not George W. He is not even the most polarizing of past Republicans. He is different. This is a different situation. And so, you know, 
of course, of course, because the universe likes to put us in difficult gymnastics, like the situation in which I've been advocating my whole life, like we need to listen to each other. We need to be nuanced. I just find myself up against this person who I do not believe is deserving of nuance. I do not. I think at a certain point, someone is dangerous and the beliefs they advocate are dangerous. And so you have to acknowledge that. And I don't, I guess the the parsing apart is talking about Donald Trump separate from his supporters or perhaps, but you know, that's what, that's where my struggle is. Like, of course, you know, I, I do believe those things except for in this situation. <laughs> like, There's just, but there's just this sort of, that's fine for you, Sarah Stewart Holland, right? Yeah. Right. Who decides that on a grander scale? I and mean, I think I would we like just have to be to able to, if somebody that. wants to put me in charge. <laughs> but I mean, that's the, that's the thing. That's the risk, right? Because I mean, to be, to be somewhat fair about it. Those of us on the center right, even end of things, have heard about how dangerous our ideas are for a long time. This harkens back to the liberal intolerance idea, just as people center left have heard about how, you know, godless and communist or whatever their ideas are. So both sides are guilty of this. And remember, we could, I hate America. Remember, the girl told me that on the high, on the street. Yes, we could we could argue all day about who's more at fault. I don't know that that's helpful, and I don't know that there's an answer. But we've done this to ourselves, right? We've we've come into this place where we have spoken in such hyperbolic language for a long time that we've caused everyone to be even more entrenched. And I think that's I think that's the thing. The more we speak about Donald Trump in hyperbolic language, the more the people inclined to support him feel, well, you, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do. It takes me back to Jane. You don't know about my life. And I, I just think that's kind of where we are. And it's hard. I do. This was another 3.30 a.m. realization I had. I would like to see the polarization of um, partisan politics in America on a line graph with the um, popularity of cable news, in particular Fox News, because I feel like maybe it's their fault. This is where I'm at now. This is where I'm currently at. I don't think that you're going to persuade anyone who's sort of on the right to come over with you. (laughs) I mean, look, I, I think Fox News has been hugely detrimental in a lot of ways. I understand why Fox News was created because people who are sympathetic to that, um, kind of view of the world would say somebody had to create something that wasn't so liberally biased. Now, I just that whole line, I don't know where to go with it, because in one way, it doesn't matter. And in another way, apportioning fault is something that just is is an exercise that makes things worse. Well, I will say this. I know why Fox News was created. It was created to make money. That's why Fox News was created. And that's why all these cable news networks Mm -hmm. exist and why all of the Internet blogs exist. And I mean, you know, that's just part of it. And, And I think some of it is the migration of news to entertainment um, that we've talked about before. I don't, I don't know how you solve any of this. I mean, this sort of gets back to the origin of Trump. How did we get here? Well, I guess I'm off of thinking about Fox news because we had a listener email us and I've heard this from people before so much so that there's actually a documentary called something like did Fox news brainwash my dad where people talk about like, and that, and that dear sugar, they talked about this too. Like, People used to could engage with their parents and people felt separately differently about things, but it wasn't, you know, the sort of it was it was a regular political conversation that was sometimes tough, but not mean spirited. And then the the documentary apparently talks about like I used to talk about my dad of politics and then he started watching Fox News and his like his personality changed. It became this isn't just you think this and I think this it's you are part of the problem and this is the enemy. And, you know, and I do think that there could be, I I wouldn't have thought this a year ago, but it's like you hear it from enough people that I felt like the the tenor of the conversation with my parents changed and it became, they're angry and this is a, you know, there's a conspiracy out to get us and all these different things. And, you know, it's sort of hard to ignore it. I think conservative radio has done more damage Mm. than Fox News. That's, I mean, if we're going to go down this path, (laughs) I mean, if we're going down this line, I, I I would tend to blame some of the conservative radio that, that, that talks about Fox news as a liberal. I mean, you know, there, (laughs) there's this whole extreme element of the party and that element has decided that it is hugely profitable to get people angry. And, and that's just where we are. And it's very sad and frustrating and I think that David French, who has suddenly become a subject of national conversation because Bill Crystal thinks that he's going to bring this 
person who's not known at all into this race. But David French said, you know, too many people think that we are electing a symbolic middle finger instead of the commander in chief and leader of the free world. And maybe that's a good summary for what Donald Trump is, right? He is he is a symbolic middle finger in a lot mm. of ways. I'm and, sorry, did I miss something where you said that there are talk radios hosts that think Fox News is too liberal? Yes. Oh, yes. I could have gone my whole life without knowing that. <laughs> yeah, I wish that I didn't know it either. But, I mean, that's that's where we are, and it's heartbreaking. And I think that's why it's so difficult for me to see the Paul Ryan endorsement, because Paul Ryan was hopeful to me. He was a hopeful figure. And this really calls that into question. I, I'm not going to judge anybody by one action, another thing that we talk about a lot, but I really am troubled by mm-hmm. Paul Ryan capitulating, in the words of the Washington Post. And Well, because he always felt like a person who sort of deeply believed in the history of America and was sort of, I mean, he saw, always felt like, for I, again, disagreed with him, he, had, he saw the bigger picture. Right. And not to mention that he was Mitt Romney's running mate, and Mitt Romney came down pretty hard against Trump. But, yeah, he just seemed like that. And in, in this feels, like you said, like about being the leader of the Republican Party as opposed to being the Speaker of the House of the United States and, like, being a part of this bigger situation. I don't know. There are characteristics of Paul Ryan that I admire that I think are similar to some of the traits that you admire in Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this, I'm willing to work extremely hard. I'm willing to study everything, even the most mundane, um, tedious aspects of government, because I really want to understand how all these things fit together. And it's, so it's, yeah, this is a political move and I've never thought of him as as quite as political as others. You know, I I think his level of political to me kind of mirrors Hillary Clinton. Like, of course, they wouldn't be where they are without being extremely Mm. political. But the, but I can elevate that hardworking um, and tenacious aspect of them over the political. And this kind of makes me rethink that. Yeah. And that to me is how I think the whole discussion to wrap up will influence us for much longer than this cycle, because I do think Donald Trump is going to lose and lose badly. The question of how he loses ultimately, and and I don't count him out completely. He could, he could win, but I, my prediction would be that he loses. Um, I, I think that how we handle this process will influence our dialogue, will influence the way people see conservative media, certainly, will influence the beliefs about liberal intolerance that we've discussed before. I mean, we we are in a very um, tumultuous moment for ourselves, in my opinion. Wow. Okay. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. 
Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Deep breath. I feel a little talk bit about, better. You want to talk about our better. favorite concerts now just to yeah, kind of sure. move on? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So in the heels, I thought we would talk about our favorite concerts because, Sarah, you're on your way to see the Dixie Chicks. Okay. So concert really doesn't do justice to the emotions I have for the Dixie Chicks. It's more like a maybe a pilgrimage or like church, maybe some situation along those lines. Um, I'm beside, I literally sent the Cincinnati paper wrote up like a review of the concert. This was not an emotional write up. This was just like the chicks are back doing what they did best. And I cried. Okay. This is the, this is the emotional level I'm operating right now after 10 years of not seeing them because I mean, I've seen them in concert, I think five times before this. I mean, I bought their first album on cassette tape with the first single cassette tape y'all then i listened to wide open spaces on the way to college uh dance to cowboy take me away although my husband is not a cowboy i'm on my wedding i sing their songs to my children every night before i put them to bed like i just the river of affection i have for the chicks is so deep i am going to be like probably a speechless blubbering mess the whole concert and they're also because I've seen them so many times. Amazing in concert. And, P.S., I'm seeing them again in Nashville in a few months. <laughs> I well, tried to add another trip. My husband was like, this is, you are not a fish fan. You have three children. You can go twice. That's unreasonable beyond that. There is not an artist that I feel as connected to as what you just described. I'm oh, going to be honest. <laughs> love them. And I don't really have anybody else. It's just them. Well, that's good because how could you make space for someone else? No, I think at this no. level. And let me just tell you, when we Nicholas and I saw them right after they put out "Not Ready to Make Nice," it was probably like the second stop on that tour. And like, I'm a concert person. I like to go to concerts. I'm a music person, and I've had really cool concert experiences. But when she stood up, it was in Philly, and sang that song with the emotion in every word that she said. I mean, I can't, I can't even describe to you that, that experience. Like I had goosebumps. It's, I've never felt anything like that at a concert. It was unbelievable. The best concert experience that I have will probably make people's eyes roll, but I saw the Indigo Girls um, in a that really is- small room. Oh, heck no. That's not eye rolling. I've seen them like eight times. They're probably my number two. I love the Indigo Girls, but what I loved so much about the concert was that they sound even better in person than they do recorded. And that's not typically my experience. Right. But it was the acoustics in the room were fantastic. It felt very intimate and they were just wonderful. Now, like sheer entertainment, I think bare naked ladies put on a great show. 
Um, I love Dave Matthews always at Riverbend in Cincinnati. I mean, there are lots of good concerts. Jimmy Buffett comes to Cincinnati every year. It's a big thing. It's a lot of fun. Like I've gone to a lot of really entertaining concerts, but as far as like sort of a musical experience that really stayed with me, it would have been the the Indigo Girls in college. Well, in and college, I mean, co- you know, college is the time when you can true. get all goosebumpy about closer to fine. So, um, there you go. Well, and the thing about the Indigo Girls is I think they hold this similarity with the chicks, which is. I, there's a part of me that believes, like, you are genetically capable of producing harmonies like that, or you are not. Like, it's just a thing you have. And luckily for all of us in the universe, I mean, the Dixie Chicks is two sisters, so that sort of makes sense. I mean, Natalie is incredibly gifted, but and they clearly, like, go together. But the Indigo Girls, just sometimes I think about it, it's like Paul and John. Like, what if they hadn't found each other? Oh, my God. Um, and they just, their harmonies are so amazing. But... You'll like this story. When I was a legislative aide in for Senator Menendez, they came to advocate for, like, low-power FM radio or AM radio, I don't remember. And it was, like, this little room and all these, like, there's, like, Mary Bono was there. Like, it was, like, a couple congressional congresswomen, like, sort of supporting their, whatever they were there lobbying for. And there was, like, two rows of seats. And then, like, the room just filled with, like, clearly – aides from all over the buildings, young 20-something, 30-somethings who were fans of the Indigo Girls. So we all come in there. So like a little room. And um, I could like see Amy's tattoos through her shirt. And I was sitting right behind them. And so they start singing and everybody's like just sitting there very like politely. And at one point, Emily goes, you know, if y'all know the words, you can sing. And the whole entire room just starts singing along with the songs. And, like, the congresswomen are, like, turning around, like, what just happened? Do you guys know all the words? It was hilarious. And we were all just so excited to be, like, given permission to go full fan on the Indigo Girls. And it was amazing. It really was. Like, they didn't even have mics. It was so fantastic. At the concert that I saw, you know the song Kid Fears and how oh, yeah. on the recording of it they have, like, a guy come in to harmonize with Stipe them? from R.E.M. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, well, at the concert where I saw them, the audience picked up his part. Oh, it was it. very, very cool. And they like the way they reacted to it. I'm sure that's happened to them a million times, but they acted like it was the first. And I mean, it was, oh, it was great. Yeah. It was really good. Well, and I, and I really want to see them because another really cool way, if you like have an artist, I know a couple of them that do this, like Ben Folds, you know, for people like that have been playing the same songs, like they have a gift, they're very good. And you have like the experience with them, but you know they have to get bored with these songs, right? I mean, how many times have Indigo Girls played Close to Fine? 3,000 million? So when we saw Ben Folds, we saw him. I've seen him multiple times, but I saw him with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, and it was like you could see he was so jazzed to have this experience, like to be there with the full symphony and it, to play the songs in that new way. And they've done that, and I've never seen them do that, but I bet it's phenomenal. I think my friend saw him do it in Nashville. Or maybe it was Louisville. I don't remember, but I wanted to go so bad, but it didn't work out. But if you have, you know, if your favorite artist ever does that, I highly recommend it because it adds this like whole other layer of excitement. The only other concert experience I've had that was super cool was in Lexington. What was that really cool little fine arts concert place in Lexington? Like it was on UK's campus. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I do. I cannot think of what it's called at all. Well, I got to see, um, oh, I can never remember. It's a bluegrass group, Nickel Creek, not Nickelback, Nickel Creek. And (laughs) they were playing. And then at the end of their show, it was like Christmas time. And so this is like not a very big place and they unplugged all their instruments and they're like hey you guys we're gonna play christmas songs if you just want to come sit on the stage with us so everybody just sort of flooded down sat on the stage they unplugged and led us in christmas carols i mean that was pretty amazing the worst concert experience i've ever had well there are two that are tied for this so the first one was um my husband and i got the great idea that we would go see plain white tees at a bar in Cincinnati. And this was before we had kids even, but we were pretty much grandma and grandpa in that room. I have never felt so old in my entire life. There was nowhere to sit. We're both like, where are the chairs? Like, it was terrible. And then the other one was, I went to Jimmy Buffett when I was like, I don't know, four or five weeks pregnant. Oh, no. And, you know, the super smell that comes along with yeah. being pregnant, like how your nose basically becomes a mythical being all on its own. That Jimmy Buffett is not the place that you want no. that to occur, and so those were two that stuck. Well, out when I was newly pregnant way. with Griffin, who just about killed me, I missed and I bought. Finally, got to see. Was going to get to see the new new kids on the block since I didn't get to see them as a child. I was super excited, but I didn't go. I was too sick. But my worst concert experience, 
Also, Ben Folds, who I really love and is some of my best ones, but he had a new album out, and we went to see him in concert, and dude only played songs, and I'm talking more than one version of the songs, from the new album that had not been released yet. Okay, Mm. like, I didn't buy tickets to a listening party. I wanted to hear you play Brick and other great Ben Folds songs. Like, you could have thrown some of those in there. I wouldn't have been upset, but the entire show, dude, and, like, more than one version, he was going through a divorce, too, and he just felt like a jerk the whole night. I was not pleased. Displeased, Ben Folds. <laughs> well, I think that's a great way to wrap up. <laughs> scolding, <laughs> scolding our beloved Ben Folds. Yeah. Oh, and I'm going. I will say on a positive note, I'm going. So I'm going to see the chicks again, and I'm going to see Beyonce. It got rescheduled. I was supposed to see her in May, but I'm going to see her in Nashville in October. So woohoo! And then I have Adele in September. I'm pretty pumped. Oh, you got Adele tickets? I'm so jealous. Yeah, Although I told you, I saw her. I saw her when she was like, you know, I think she still had a last name when I saw her in DC. Ender when 19 came out. We're going to Detroit for Adele. I'm pretty excited. That's going to be awesome. Well, y'all should come on our Facebook pages and Twitter and tell us your favorite concerts. I love concert talk. That would be really fun. Absolutely. And we can talk about other things, including our lack of nuance in a lot of aspects of today's show. We apologize for that. <laughs> um, you can find us on Facebook at Pansy Politics, Twitter at Pansy Politics. Keep an eye out for that Facebook Live event that we're doing with Predict It. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. <laughs>